Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Welcome to episode 102 of the Material Podcast. I am Andy Anatko of the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Russell Ivanovich, app developer from Pocket Casts. And I, I, I am slightly sleep-minused because we're recording this the day after the WWDC keynote. And I am a tech journalist, which means that I have spent i spent all of monday afternoon listening to the keynote and doing follow-ups in the keynote and then every moment since then talking to my newspaper readers and to various radio listeners and to various podcast listeners about wwdc i have not had a i'm you're you're not getting me at my best today that's that's what i'm saying i have to know andy is this is this the kind of time where you reflect on your decision to be a podcaster and a journalist all in the the week of a huge tech conference you know, um, I ordered one of those uh, 20,000 milliamp hour batteries off Amazon, and it's a really nice battery. But uh, when the UPS guy came up, I asked, do you need help today? Like, do you have, do, is, is there an apprenticeship <laughs> program? Do I have to apply? Is there a test of some sort? Because driving a UPS truck seems like a great, great thing right now. Which is which is not to say that it would, it, that ordinarily doesn't seem like a great thing. I'm I'm saying that I I, I had a uh, I was once at a wedding and I met the most contented man in his employment I have ever met in my entire life. He, uh, you know, I'm at that sort of not the loser table, but the oh this person is not wait, necessarily wait, the physically. Close- how far were you from the wedding party? That's that's how you can tell. I had a great view of the whatever was, was beyond the window, so not not quite close to the <laughs> main table. I'm sure they care about you still, I mean, Andy. It's fine. It's exactly, fine. exactly. But it's, it, was, it was like, oh, this person doesn't it doesn't doesn't have a wife, and is not going to be bringing two kids, so we can use him to fill like that random extra seat. This <laughs> this works out great when I'm in New York and I want to see Hamilton because maybe there's one seat with an obstructor view left like that's still available, like on on show day. Not so well on, on weddings, but he's he had per he was in perfect shape he looked like he was 30 32 he had like that high and tight haircut he uh he sit sat like perfectly straight and i figured either marine or recently like retired marine uh and the second one was the indeed the case that because well, you know we chat and <laughs> actually he retired about like six years ago and what he was doing since then is being a ups driver and this is and this is why I keep flashing back to him when it comes to find the job that's perfect for you, because he told me the story about how well you know, got out of the Marines after something like eight, nine, ten years, and didn't know exactly what I wanted to do next. So I thought so I took a job driving a truck at UPS delivery truck, and I thought that oh I'll do this until I figure out what one does. And I and I turns out that I found the perfect job for me. And here's here's how he put it. He says that because it, it's it's everything he loved about the Marines. In that he 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 learned at, at UPS that he likes the idea of putting on a uniform and having a recognizable <laughs> role within yes. society. I mean, people see him in the uniform, like at, when he's getting, getting coffee, they know what he does. He likes that. He liked that in the morning he was given by his superior a a a, a mission with a clear objective, which is to deliver all the packages in the truck. After he was given this mission, he was given a great amount of autonomy in fulfilling that mission, meaning go out in the truck and drive <laughs> and deliver these about that. Did, do they actually get the, the freedom to, to you know choose their route? Sounds like they do. That's awesome. I guess so. I mean, I'm, I'm, sh- I mean, the, I'm sure they're being monitored, but the way he put it, it's, it's like that. First, you will deliver this package, then this package, then this package. But the, and then as the day goes by, he could see clear progress towards his mission because he could see that his truck was getting progressively emptier. He liked uh, he liked being part of a community and having regular people on the route that he would interact with uh, daily on, on a daily basis. And then the best thing is that. 
when the truck is empty, he knows that he has accomplished his mission. He returns the truck to the depot and he goes home and the job is done. Oh, that, that, that does sound like the perfect wonderful. job. I'm not even I'm exactly. not even being sarcastic here. It actually does. No, like, exactly. I I feel like I have to point out that I'm not I am not being sarcastic. That's that's why when I say that like whenever I'm having a really tough day, I'm thinking maybe I should consider a job at UPS. <laughs> maybe maybe there is a much better a, a job that will make me much much happier and will help me to understand what it is that makes me tick. I mean, not but only no, that, I'm, but think about the modern world. The modern world, quote unquote, where all us <laughs> you know tech elites, uh, us one percent, um, we order everything like through Amazon and through other websites and whatever. And who brings it to us it's the fedex people it's the ups people it's the whatever <laughs> service you work for people and i'm always so happy to see these people when they ring the little bell for right. our office because we're on the third floor I'm like yes he or she is here yep. and i run downstairs to meet them sometimes i don't even have shoes on that's how much of a uh, rush i'm in <laughs> and i'm like yes yes package please sign excellent i love you please just yep. hand it over and it's just yeah it's it's the best day of my life every day yeah, like like a new a new iPhone day. I know I know my FedEx driver, and so he knows he will come up saying, "I got your new iPhone," <laughs> and then because he knows what he do what I do for a living, he will maybe even like have to rush to deliver the next package. To, oh, so is it really as good as this? Well, I I only had about thirty minutes with it in the in the demo room, but I thought that it was like okay. I'm, I got my truck is it's like it must be like the the old days when they for that one day a week every every package was like a t everything was a TV guide the mail person had to deliver. <laughs> but yes, that, to FedEx people, to the UPS people, to uh, postal service people, thank you very much. You might get your unfortunately mass media tends to depict you as a Cliff Clavin or a or a Newman on Seinfeld, but you are part of the glue that holds this mighty structure together, and we thank you for that. We certainly do. In fact, I believe, Andy, one of our listeners wrote to us once, and he worked for Unnamed Shipping Company, and it sounded like an awesome place to listen to podcasts because you, you've got that, <laughs> you know, you're alone in the truck, you can listen to all the podcasts you want. So, you know, he might still be listening. Hey there, if you yes. are. Speaking of updates, by the way, I believe we both got <laughs> a very big update, not from UPS, although there should be a sponsor after the amount of times we've mentioned them. Something on your wrist, Andy. There's something on your wrist being updated. I'm flicking Indeed, here now. Indeed, finally, finally got Android Wear 2.0. Ooh, I got it as well. All in the same week. Yes. And unfortunately, it happened to <laughs> it happened to arrive. I, I, I was in New York last week. I ran out of battery on like my Nexus 5X, and I've been carrying around the Nexus 6P that's running the beta of Android O. And so, well, gosh, this I, I've been using it, A, for Android O, but also, well, I've been using this for nothing, so this will have my, all my media on it. And because, of course, I always have a, I always carry a SIM extraction tool in my wallet at all times, I decided I can either tether this to, like, a battery and keep and, and carry around like it that, like nunchucks, or I could just sit here by the Soldiers and Sailors Memorial in Central Park and just do a SIM swap. And so for that reason... <laughs> I uh, when the, when the update finally came in on the watch, I had to swap sims back because the Android Wear watch was linked to the previous phone, uh, and for some yes. reason it wasn't. But anyway, but yes, 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 it was. Uh, I like it. I'm glad. Um, it's, I'm still getting used to it. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting used to it. I'll, I'll tell you the positive parts first. I don't like starting off with the negative parts because I feel like I do that too often. So. Some of the things I like, I like how easy it is to get to apps now. You just click the little little button in and the apps pop up and you can put your favorite ones at the right. top. The, the, the hardware clicky button is now significant. It's not just like an optional thing. It is like you launch apps, boom, you're, you're right. You're in there right away. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I like how easy it is to switch watch faces as well. I know I have seen some complaints about this online that people don't necessarily want to switch watch faces, and I understand that. If you have one favourite watch <laughs> face and you don't care about any other watch faces, all good. But I think one of the benefits of, of Android Wear is there are just so many good watch faces out there. So I've picked my favourite four, and now it's just a matter of like I can just swipe between them like really quickly. I don't have to try and do that weird push my finger through the screen until it finally registers that you know I want to do something. I, I like that. I like that you can flick between them. I don't know if you've been using that much, Andy. I've been I've been using it. I, I like it. Um, I like the I like the fact that the that the assistant is basically one big button that covers the entire screen. Um, actually, I can't. Re- I stopped wearing it for about a month, and as a result, I can't remember whether that was the built-in action or something that I added with an app or something. But I think that's totally appropriate. I love I love how it now looks a lot more material than it used to. I didn't think it was ugly before, but material is just so beautiful. Uh, yeah, that I mean, any place even, they want to put it. They've even added a little animation. So when I, I'm sure it's the same when yours. When I click the button down, the actual app drawer that comes out animates from the button. Yeah, literally the place where I click the button, which is it's a nice touch. Like it's like, oh, here's where you press. Like this is what's happening. Yeah, and they're having a lot of fun with the graphics too. It seems where uh, it's remember that when the Android were the original one, they're like. Of course, they're all going to be square screens, but Motorola decided, well, if they want to be wacky and do a round screen, we decided <laughs> to add support for round screens. But of course, it's all going to be square. And then, of course, now every every screen is round. And so as a leftover of the of that first idea in Android Wear 1, if you need to scroll through a list of apps, of course, it's just a scrolling, like, one-dimensional, like, list that gets cut off at the corners. And now, uh, if you scroll through the list of apps and other things, number one it's sort of like i don't know how to put it it's like they're taking each one is taking an orbit around the left edge of the screen and whatever one is like uh, closest to like the nine o'clock position is the largest one they get they get larger as they approach the nine o'clock position and smaller as they go away and then there's also and it took me like a, a, a little bit to even notice this there is also if you're scrolling through a list of that kind the right hand is actually just sort of like a scroll bar where you can see that you're you're a little, like a little ant it would be great if we were an actual like picture of an ant, but you see like an <laughs> ant sort of like make its way from like one o'clock to five o'clock. And it's like that is a lovely touch. Somebody somebody worked hard on that, and thank goodness they did. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. That is very nice. And scrolling through the list of apps is surprisingly smooth. Like these, I don't know. I always feel like a lot of Android Wear watches, especially the the first and second generations, were quite underpowered. Like <clears throat> the CPUs or whatever they put in there, like weren't. 100% for the task, but I've got to say the majority of Android Wear 2 is actually pretty smooth, which I can't can't imagine was a very easy thing to do. Yeah, especially on kind of old hardware that was not still trying to squeeze out as much battery life as possible. How's, how's your battery life been? Uh, it's been really good. I haven't noticed any difference at all. So I'm, I get to a typical end of the day on about 45 50%, which is what I was getting previously with Android Wear 1. I have heard a lot of people on Twitter, though, say that they, they can't yeah. even get through a day anymore. I don't know if that's some kind of weird thing to do with an upgrade. I don't know if potentially now that apps sort of run more demanding on the, the watch, if you install certain apps, maybe that bogs it down. I haven't, I haven't really looked into it, but mine's been pretty good. What's, what's yours been like? Mine's been pretty good. It was abysmal for the first day or so, but... It bounced right back, and I assumed that it was doing. There was something happening in the background where it was re-indexing something, or you know, unpa- still unpacking boxes, still wondering should the lamp go into the corner of the bedroom or should it go in the night? You know, stuff like that with it, with any new <laughs> OS. I, I'm I'm willing to forgive. F- I have a, f- a 48 
hour, I think, grace period, whenever I do a major update to the computer, particularly a mobile device, that I'm I'm willing to not be barking on, you stupid piece of crap! What is it? It's like, no, it's brand new. Remember when you, you settled into a brand new job and you didn't know that there was a procedure <laughs> for the coffee cups and you got yelled at and you didn't like that? You said, hey, I'm new here. Well, now it's your chance to be just as nice to the watch as Estelle was not nice to you that time when you were 20. I mean, the other thing, and I'm sure this is said, you know, way way too often, but when you get a new update of any kind that has new features, you know, especially big new features, you tend to play with it a lot more as well, which which is obviously yeah. if you leave the screen on, that's that's going to drain the battery. So I'm the same as you. I try and give it a day or two. But I have to say, like, I didn't have any issues. I wonder, though, if, if it's because I actually technically did a reset because I had to switch between phones. Like I'd been using the, the Samsung watch in between, so I hadn't actually paired this to my new phone. And the unpairing procedure, as you said before, is you got to reset you know, the entire watch back to back to stock so you can pair it with a new phone. So I wonder if that helped, like the whole resetting thing. Like maybe maybe there's some, some problems with some people's upgrades. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. You, you, there's, always the, there's always that little, um, I don't know, I don't know if it's true or not, but the Android everything seems to have at least a, a, the rumor that, you know, there's increasing cruft as it goes along. That if, the longer you use a phone, the more months you put onto it, there will be the CPU the performance overall will continue to drop to drop to drop and it will not be fixed by restarting it will only be stopped by resetting the factory and then coming back again i don't know i think there was some sort of a slide about that at google io a few weeks ago when they're talking about here's why we want you to use better memory management and it seemed to be like I, uh, what I remember is something like some slide that said it had gone from 22% to 19%. But for the life of me, my head is so full of bees after the past 24 hours, I can't remember what those numbers indicated. But it meant that, oh, okay, so that thing that I've been hearing about is now mandated, is now underscored by a slide during a Google Google I.O. summit <laughs> session. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, Andy. I think I have the first world problem that I've never stuck with an Android phone for the full two years. Like, that sounds really bad to say out loud, but I think <laughs> six months to eight months has always been my limit because there's always something new in China that comes along. So maybe maybe that's the expensive solution to the problem. But can I can I tell you a few things that I maybe don't like as much about Android Wear 2.0? Please, we'll see if we'll see if they if we match. Right. This this will be like the newlywed game. I'll after I hold down the and now here's what Andy said thought thought you would say you don't like about Android Wear, which he totally agrees with. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's see. So I know there's a there's the thing about change, you know, where something new comes along and the the natural reaction is to be like, I preferred the old way. I got used to it. Like I have seen that a lot. I don't think this is that, although I'm willing to consider it for another few weeks. But the notifications. Are, Andy, on, on Android Wear 2. We have a match. Oh, we do have a match. <laughs> Sorry. Ding, ding, ding. So previously what would happen is you got a notification, you get a little thing down the bottom of, of your watch and it'd be like, hey, you know, so-and-so sent you a message or this person tried to call or I think you need to be at this meeting. And it wouldn't, it'd be a little bit transparent. It wouldn't be covering your watch face. It'd just be there. And it it was always felt like the most important thing was just sitting there ready for you to action. Now what happens is when you get a notification, a little round sort of notification appears for a few seconds just to say, if it's someone messaged you, let's say Andy messaged me, I get a little picture of Andy's face, kind of pops up and then disappears. And now, just all in case not- you happen to be staring at the watch face for no other reason, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does I'm buzz sure. as well. So you could kind of, if you take that feedback loop, you could get it at that point. But the problem is now all your notifications are a slide up from the bottom and none of them are ever visible on the watch face unless you actually do that slide. So the first problem is you have no idea what's down there. If you haven't been paying attention, you've, you've physically got to scroll through them. My second problem comes immediately after that is I have a real problem scrolling from one to the other. Like it's almost like the scrolling here is different to the scrolling in that app list. Like it's 
it's super easy and almost like way too easy to go to the bottom. There's a clear all button sort of down the bottom. So right now I have three notifications. I've got a missed call. I've got a few other things. I've got a calendar appointment. I'm going to try and go from the calendar appointment to the missed call and I end up down the bottom of the screen at the clear all. Like I've literally skipped two notifications. I find it really hard to go between them. I find it a little bit confusing to to dismiss them as well. You've still got that left to right swipe that goes over but there's just something about this system that I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. The other one felt so perfect. Like I've always felt, I know I'm ranting here, but I've always felt when Apple launched the Apple Watch version one, I'm like, oh, goody, someone strapped the, the iPhone to my wrist. You know, there's an app <laughs> launcher, there's, there's all the same notification patterns that there is on the iPhone. Like it's, it's a bad paradigm. that They've fixed it since, like thank goodness. But I felt when Android Wear 1.0 launched, I'm like someone's rethought Google now for the wrist. Like this is really nice. You've got the card interface. Yeah. You've got things you can go through. Like it just felt really well thought out. And I know this is now more consistent with Android as a platform, but I don't know if I like that. I think I preferred the, the card interface that was there before. I don't know how you feel about this. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I really like the, uh, I like the idea that it, it's almost as if an assistant had just sort of peeked the, uh, peeked the door open a little bit yes. and stuck their head in, saying, "Oh, by the way, uh, that last that last call that you heard the the phone dialing, that was him. If you want to call back, that's fine. But no, do what you want to do." I, I kind of like the fact that, like, there would be I, the the phone, the my wrist would buzz, and I would know that at some point something has happened that maybe I'd be interested in. And as soon as, as soon as I check my wrist, I don't have to do anything. I could just see again the tiniest little hint at the bottom where it was just enough information to know: Do you want to do anything about this right now? Such as flick your wrist a little and see the rest of it, or do you want to flick your wrist down and say, "I don't even." want to bother with that last first uh, four words i liked when i was listening to music sometimes i would check my watch just to see what oh what what track is that playing on google music because i'm playing something that's kind of random uh and i just thought it was a really really nice little enhancement and most uh watch face apps would let you sort of modify do you want this to be translucent do you want it to cover things up a little or a lot um, i think i i think i see the reasoning behind why they wanted to do that uh, because I think that one, it seems as though one of the little rules now is that try not to cover up the watch face. The watch face is really beautiful. That's what a, that's what a regular watch looks like. And also now that we have user complications, so that if I if this person really wants to know what was the last email, what was the last fitness goal reached, what was the last message, they can add a complica- the complication they want to whatever uh, modern watch face they want. So maybe there's something to that, but I do kind of miss it. Um, they missed it. I I am having a little bit of trouble, kind of like you. I'm. I guess I have to just have to remember now or relearn when to swipe and which direction I need to swipe in, because yeah. they they when we were talking last week or the week before after Google I/O that um, there was a whole slide deck uh, about the changes to Android Wear three that were coming, and one of them being that uh, they really wanted everything to be watch face and you scroll down from a notification and the actions for that notification will be at the bottom of the content as opposed to what we're used to, which is you can swipe to one direction, then up and down. Uh, And it feels as though this was part of, that that was an extension of what they're doing with Android Android Wear 2. It's it's kind of funny. We've been reading about it for a long time, but it's taken us this long to actually get you know the live live experiment on our wrists so it looks kind of different between the screenshots that we've been seeing yeah that there is definitely something about having it actually strapped to your wrist and using it day to day and not only that but using it for your own personal stuff so i now have like my phone calls my messages my emails that makes a big difference from like a can demo where they're like oh greg wants to go to lunch let's order some pizza yes. like it's it's <laughs> i mean it's different i do 
I mean, I like the design. Don't get me wrong. Like the notifications look really good. They're easier to read now. Like they're they're big. And I, I think you might be onto something with the complications thing. Like because you can have complications right at the bottom of the watch face. I can see that potentially if there was a permanent card, you know, covering those that you'd constantly be having to pull that down. And maybe they even did that and they're like, oh, that's annoying. Let's get rid of that. But I feel like there is something lost. Maybe just, it's as simple as I need some kind of complication that tells me what, what my top notification yeah. is or something like that. I wonder if there, we we know that from both Apple and Android, and Google that they were listening really really closely to their first generation of users and both of their platforms changed radically after seeing how people are using it for the first couple of years more I think more uh, Apple Watch than uh, than Android were but both of them were clearly watching and listening and I wonder if one of the things they were picking up is that whereas. Uh, a lot of, particularly the Apple keynote was that we think that everybody's going to want to have an Apple Watch on their wrist, and we made it splash proof because you'll never want to take it off, even when you're when you're in the shower or making love. Why would you ever take this watch <laughs> off? It's so wonderful, and. I find that it, it, there's very rarely am I am I in a room where there's a bigger nerd than me in this room. Oftentimes the same same equal same level of nerd equilibrium, such as this conversation I'm having right now. But <laughs> even so, I love my Android Wear watch. When I travel, I almost always wear it. But it really is one of three watches that I swap in and out over the course of a month. Uh, I can uh, it's believe it or not, I actually kind of started wearing my Apple Watch again. Not only Ooh. because it's only because it's a cool watch, and I have a couple of bands that I really like that I can put on. I just actually Apple at WWDC they just uh, uh, released the Rainbow uh, R- Rainbow Band, which yeah. is of, of of course for various Pride organizations, and I believe in and support all those organizations. For me, it was like, oh boy, it's a rainbow. I really want it. Oh boy, a rainbow <laughs> wrist strap. I'll, I'll, and so and so maybe if maybe like uh, I'll spend uh, nine or ten days out of the month wearing the Apple Watch just because again it's a cool watch. I kind of like the. It doesn't it doesn't work with the notifications from my Android device, or at least not well enough to make me bother with it. But I can at least sync data to my other iOS devices. And so yeah, it's, which and that's exactly like how I used to wear watches before then, where. I was never a watch collector. I don't like. Oh well, I'm wearing. I'm going to the opera tonight, so I must. I have to wear an analog watch and nothing with numbers on it. That would be gauche. Uh, but I would still have a. a you know, I have the sports watch, the, the the sports LCD watch, and I have like sort of the cheap but fun analog watch. But then I also have the the kind of nice one that I will wear when I don't want to look quite so much like a dork or my aunts or my mom is going to be at that event and they're going to say, I can't believe you wore that stupid, huge tech nerd watch. Don't <laughs> remember, remember I gave you that really beautiful watch like 10 years ago for Christmas. Like, yeah, I do. Why, why aren't you wearing it? Cause I don't want to get it scratched up. Don't get to get scratched. Go home right now. Put on the nice watch. <laughs> yeah, I don't that- care what a Pokemon is. That's not the watch you should be wearing at your cousin's wedding. Exactly. Eddie. That, that is one of the other interesting differences between the two platforms is, on iOS, because there's just one watch design, you get a lot more variety of watch bands from Apple. So they, they make tons of different watch bands and they release new ones every year. On Android, I guess, because the lugs are slightly different sizes and the watch designs are different, like you do have in, in most cases like a standard uh, band. So that's good. You can buy them from anywhere. But it's also bad because it's really hard to find bands made for your specific watch. Like if you bought a Motorola watch, you have to go to Motorola to get one that looks like exactly right. Otherwise, you've got to go through thousands and thousands of like, you know, third-party options to try and figure out like you're looking at your watch, you're like, is this going to look good with this design? Like I don't really know. Like I, you always have to buy it and like put it on. Like it is 
Yeah, it is. Is it is a difference? It's a it's a learning process, is it not? And it's so hard to find opportunities where you can go places and learn things. <laughs> I feel like you're trying to lead me into something here, Andy. No, it just just occurred to me. That's all. <laughs> you know what else our listeners should be learning about, Andy? I will tell What's you that? if. If they run any sort of server infrastructure and they're still, you know, rolling this by hand or they're physically rolling out servers, I, I think I gotta say they're doing it the wrong way because <laughs> this episode of material is brought to you by Linode. Uh, Linode lets you set up a server in just seconds with their fast, powerful hosting. Their tools are easy to understand and they let you choose your resources in Linux distro. They give you the power and the flexibility you need. And Linode's plans start at just $5 a month. So that gets you a Linux server with one gigabyte of RAM in the Linode cloud. And some of the stuff they have, industry-leading performance with native SSD storage, access to a 40 gigabit network, um, Intel E5 processors, which is the fastest ones you're going to get in the cloud market, nine data centers to, to choose you know, where you want to put your Linode in, uh, across the world, meaning you can serve your customers, you know, more quickly depending on where they are. Um, they have an API. You know, developers love APIs, and they've got one that you can plug into to make custom applications. Um, super simple scaling. So if you want to add more RAM or more hard drive, you just press a few buttons. You press go, the machine reboots, it's all there. Um, and it's all manageable via the command line as well. So if you prefer a command line interface, you know, they've got you sorted there. And their pricing tiers feature hourly billing with monthly caps. So if you decide halfway through that you're like, oh, I didn't actually need this VPS, you can shut it down. You know, you get you get half your money back for that uh, for that month. And it's all fixed price as well. So if you use it for the entire month, you only pay the amount of the plan. You know, there's nothing weird going on. So if this sounds like it's for you, you know, you want a one gigabyte of, of RAM server for just five dollars a month, or you want to go all the way up to sixteen gig for sixty dollars a month, that's fine. You can do that with Linode. So as a listener of the show, you want to go to linode.com slash material, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash material, and you not only be supporting us, but you also get $20 towards your first Linode plan with a seven-day money-back guarantee. So nothing to lose here. Linode.com slash material uh, to sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit. Or if you're super excited and you're ready to check out, material2017 is the promo code you want to use and pass that on to any friends, you know, anyone who you know who wants servers in the cloud. I, I can honestly say we use Linode for a lot of our stuff here at Pocket Car, so it's not like... They're just the sponsor. Like we actually use their stuff as well. So Material 2017 is the promo code you want to pass on. And we want to thank Linode so much for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Hooray. I'm I'm having some server problems of my own with my home office server. I would love to be using a service for that instead. Um, <laughs> so this was uh, this is WWDC week as we record yesterday. Uh, Tim Cook and the rest of the, the Beatles uh, did their big uh, annual developer keynote. And it, it was a jam-packed with content. However, Tim Cook still had enough time to haul out my least favorite statistic during an Apple keynote, which is the the, the statistic of saying this 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 year's statistic was. And he's, he's talking to developers, of course, but he's saying that iOS 10 is now running on 86% of all active iOS devices. And then compared to, I don't don't know if he even like said the name, spoke the name of the beast, but claimed it was 7% of uh, Android devices that were running nougat. And like, my God, you are such a successful company and you have legitimately like redefined a couple of categories. And the iPad is one of the best computers you can buy anywhere. And you have so much money. You're running out of continents in which to hide it for for tax purposes. You don't need to make what I consider to be this kind of BS number that rather it's it's, it's just a confusing statistics. It's, it's, it's totally, totally misleading. Uh, and not just because uh, if you go to developer.android.com slash about uh, to advise uh, developers, I guess, on 
the different platforms that they're targeting, they do actually break it down. Google does break it down for you about which how many phones are running, how many it's how many apps. And right now, uh, the two different varieties of Android N is up to nine point four, nine point five percent. So screw you. That's an extra still <laughs> still below ten percent, but. <laughs> Oh, look, hey, at uh, least flag us off correctly. I'm with you, Andy. This is you're at a developer conference. Right? I get it from a marketing perspective. This looks amazing on a slide. You're like iOS 10, 86 point, uh, you know, 86 percent adoption. Let's look at our closest competitor. Oh, seven percent adoption. Isn't that sad? You never <laughs> want to develop for that platform. But the problem is, Tim Cook, you're at a developer conference, and I'd like to assume that developers have a you know a fair amount of intelligence. They know how to develop apps for a start. They learn how, they learn a whole bunch of programming languages. They learn all your frameworks. They're probably not idiots. And I feel like this stat, out of all the stats you could trot out, is it's the most slideable one slash markable one. But it's actually the worst one because it makes no sense, like whatsoever, Andy. Like for for one, like if you just want to look at it statistically, there are more Android devices in the world. So you should probably be comparing numbers and not percentages. But for two, like it's just a completely different operating system. Like a lot of the stuff that we do on Android, we don't need our users to be on 7.8. Like I was literally sitting in an I.O. session where they're like, here's a new API. It's going to be part of Android 7. But you know what? It's also in this thing called the support library, which goes all the way back to Android, I don't know, 3 or 2 or something. Like it goes like way, way back, like many, many, many years, further than Apple goes back, by the way. And they're like, you can have this API today. You just import the support library and boom, you have this API. And it's not it's not a made-up thing. Like when you work on the iOS side of things, if you want some new API, there is literally no way to get it apart from making your users upgrade or having conditions in your code that says, well, if my users on iOS 10 do this, but if they're not, then then do this. On Android, oftentimes you don't have to do that. You just import the support library thing, come straight from Google. You're like, yep, I'll have that new API. I'll have it straight into my code and everything will just work. And then this is literally, and I'm not, not kidding here, 90% of the new features they launch um, go into the support library or they go into something else called Google Play Services. So mm-hmm. as a developer, you're never really that worried about, oh, are my, are my users on Android 7? Like, I don't know. Like, oh, I'm going to have to wait six years to be able to use that feature. It just <laughs> it doesn't work like that. And i got to tell you, if Tim's listening, I'll tell you some stuff that you could actually have a dig at, Tim. Uh, there's a lot of legitimate stuff on Android that's harder. The camera APIs I've heard are atrocious to work with, especially like across versions. I've heard that um, this crazy GPU variation. So if you're making games and you're trying to target some version of OpenGL and there's some bug in some Samsung thing that never gets updated, that's apparently a problem. You could target that. I guess it's hard to put on a slide. Apparently, a lot of some of the low-level sort of native stuff is a bit wonky from you know manufacturer to manufacturer. These are all legitimate things you could put up on a slide and you say with iOS, you don't have to worry about any of these things. But to put up that adoption number, Andy, just every time I see it, I just feel like. I'm not a I'm not a violent man, but I do feel like punching the screen and just you know making a statement like why do you put that up? Developers are not idiots; they can see, you know, they can see straight through that stuff. It's just ah, just it just annoys yeah. me. And from the representing the consumer point of view, it, this reminds me of every fear, uncertainty, and, and doubt argument that Microsoft yes. used to throw against Apple, saying, "Oh, well, you know that there's fragmentation. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna buy, folks. You're gonna buy app, uh, buy an app, and find out that it doesn't work with your phone. And who's you know that ninety nine cents? It's out. It's gone. You're never gonna get that ninety nine cents again. I'm just sorry to say. And this and is I'm just uh, here looking have, out for you. I mean, I just want to point this out as someone who's looking after you. That's, that's, that's the only reason I'm here. I've got nothing against our competitors. I'm definitely looking out for you in a way that's compatible with my business plan. But yeah, this is so uh, uh, I'm mailing out my, my the first of two or maybe three different care packages of like secondhand Android phones uh, to friends of mine who after the Google I.O. keynote were they're 
at least curious about, gee, this sounds like a really great thing coming from Android. I've always wanted to try one out. And they call their friend who gets nothing but sample phones that cost <laughs> cost more money for the company to ship back and they don't want them back, but I can't sell them or do anything like that. So they tend to look around the house. And so there's so many things that they worry about that they're, I'm glad to say are, no, you don't have to worry about that at all. Because fragmentation is certainly the least the least thing to worry about at all, partly because of they have, they have to be told that, by the way, there's this thing called Google Play Services that is in the Google Play Store. And so long as your phone is not more than, let's say, two or three years old, if it has access to the Google Play Store, you're good. You're pretty much good for any app that any developer will ever write or target because this is the separate thing that gets downloaded to whatever phone you have. Uh, you also They also have to be reminded that just because even if you have like uh, Android 6 or Android 5, you can still get the latest camera app and you can still have the latest Google keyboard and the latest. You don't have to wait a year to get a new version of the official camera app because these are just apps that are on the yeah. store that you can download for free. Uh, and so, yeah, I just – and to say nothing of the fact that even when you have older phones that are running even much older versions of Android – it's a bigger, bigger marketplace. It's a worldwide marketplace, like you say. It's, it's there are uh, there. It's a, it's a conversation to have about compare a flagship phone to another flagship phone, or in Android's case, compare even a mid-price phone to a flagship phone. But then there are people that even in this country that I can afford thirty dollars for a blister pack phone that runs Android that is on a pay-as-you-go plan, and that's part of the Android world. And there are parts of the world where it's the equivalent of like a 20 or 30 dollar phone that it's okay if it runs android 3 android 4 if it's okay it's okay if it runs marshmallow so long as it's a smartphone that can run a browser and give me access to data and cricket scores that's also part of android so we're at apple is comparing solely the in this in its case solely the 650 to 1000 dollars smartphone <laughs> adoption rate of the latest <laughs> version of iOS to every version of every sort of need that everybody has for every kind of Android device yeah. altogether in fact then and so to underscore your point here, I just want to quickly butt in. Um, I'm looking at the Pocket Cast stats. So we have a fair amount of users on Android. There, a lot of them are on the the higher end flagship phones. I'm looking at our Android 7.0 stats. 35.4% of our users. Android 7.1, 26.6. So the amount of people on Android 7 in Pocket Cast is well over 50%. So it's 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 another one of those weird stats. Is like when you actually look at active users who are using your app, like it's a completely different stat to, okay, give me the 2 billion Android devices in the world, you know, that some of them are in Brazil, some of them are in Indonesia, some of them are from these blister packs that you mentioned. Like some of them, you know, run sort of, you know, really old versions of Android. You look at the actual user breakdown, it's like, no, 50% of our users are on the latest operating system, like the absolute latest. And the one below that is 26%. Like that's a that's a huge chunk of users that are on modern operating systems. And I mean, the other side of it is Pocket Cast supports way back to Android 4.4, right? And as an iOS developer, I can understand you look at that, you're like, oh my goodness, that's four years old. Like, oh, that must be such a nightmare. Like, and it would be on iOS trying to go back four versions is is literally a nightmare. Like Apple won't sign the the binaries for it anymore. You have to make sure you keep old devices. Good luck getting the the simulators and stuff that run on like a four-year-old version of iOS. But it's actually shockingly easy to go back to Android 4.4. Is maybe I had a look at our code the other day, it's maybe 20 to 50 lines of code in the entire code base that are specific to okay, if you're in a slightly older version of Android, like do this. That's 
that's in a code base of tens of thousands of lines of code. We've maybe spent a few hours, you know, optimizing stuff for 4.4 and then occasionally we'll test stuff on 4.4 when we change it, you know, before releasing it. And those two things are really not that hard. Like Android makes that side of it easy because I guess they knew from day one this this was going to be a thing. This, you know, when you hand it over to manufacturers and you you do the the model that Android does, you have to support this. And Google does an amazing job of supporting this. So I still, I know I'm harping on about this point, but I still can't believe no. that, that Tim puts something like that on the slide because it's just it's just not even like it's just divorced from reality. Like there's no correlation between that seven percent number and what we actually do as you know developers on the platform. Yeah, and and I do like the the fact that Google seems to be extremely aware of all the things that make Android a pain in the butt for everybody, and it's it's like they they sat down, they had a few beers, and they had a very frank discussion with themselves and wrote down. Did you get the the Did you get the uh, the TV show My Name Is Earl? Yes. <laughs> so remember, because it starts off with like he he, he has a near death experience and epiphany that he needs to make make amends for everything he's done wrong. So he writes out on in hand scribble on this two sided piece of paper like the list of a thousand hundred things he's done wrong that he needs to like make amends for. I think that Google has the exact same list <laughs> for everything they did to you the first two or three years of Android users. And one of them is the problem of well, what if you buy a phone and it becomes a special phone that can't be updated and you're done. Uh, so uh, one of the fun things, one of the most interesting things from Google I.O. was Project Treble, which was we are trying, we're now going to make a brand new layer of abstraction so that if you are Andy's phone company, you have to spend, you have to spend all that time, money and human effort to create code once that makes this work with the Android operating system. And then in theory, so long as you created this Treble layer correctly, Every future version of Android will simply, like a Lego, click right onto this layer that you created, and you maybe you don't necessarily maybe you will never. It's not true that you will never have to touch this layer again. But we're talking about a simple project as opposed to do I have enough money back in the and Andy's phone worldwide headquarters, which is now collapsed to one spare bedroom that is filled with mostly subpoenas for lawsuits for unshipped products that I've already, I've already pre-sold, <laughs> you know, but I can probably still, still get that, get that done. So yeah, that's, it's again, especially because Apple has so many strengths and so many great cards to play. It's yeah. I, remember, yeah, I mean, it's not like it, iOS is doing badly. They're, they're doing just fine. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're selling a lot of phones. They're 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 not number one. They're number two. They're they're, they're number two behind Android. But there's it's still a fine, fine phone. A fine, <laughs> yeah, every every fine time we see the figures, you know, thirty six or fifty million or whatever they sell in a quarter, I, I think they'll be all right. They probably don't need to make yeah. these kind of jobs. I, the other funny one I saw on the slide, Andy, was they were saying the uh, the iPhone seven, I believe, is you know three times faster at processing images on device than a than a Google Pixel. And aren't we amazing? I'm like. I don't think my Google Pixel even processes the images on device. Like it goes <laughs> off to some server somewhere in the server, yeah. does it? And then I get the results. Like it's it's those weird sort of comparisons where like, yep, you make good CPUs. There's no denying that. But is this even a comparison? I don't know why this is on a slide. Yeah, there was um, there was there was one element that I still don't know how important it is. They get, of course they kept mentioning this over and over again. The, one of their signature strengths that they can define against Google and other companies is that hey look we Google they, they would never say the, they would never say the word Google during the keynote but they uh, we don't we we have great uh, uh, machine learning features but we do all the machine learning on the device and we don't have to actually communicate with the server to give you greater photos it's all being done on the device and that's certainly a positive for people that 
don't trust Google and there's no reason why it's I'm not telling anybody it's silly if they if they're if that is not within their comfort level that's to, that's not an irrational thing uh, it's not something that I personally agree with I, I believe that it's a transaction that works out very very well I think that the Google is very very careful about making sure my personal information is not compromised to anyone outside of Google uh, so I'm perfectly okay with it but you don't have to uh, but they were not able to give the sort of demos that Google was able to give about here's how we are applying machine learning to making your life better here. I don't know if they're on if Apple's on device machine learning is going to be as helpful or sophisticated or as magical. Like when you when you when you have something like I'm not sure how they could do something like Google Lens totally yeah. on device. If even if even if it happened to know like what band is on that marquee and had the music clips pre pre sorted, <laughs> I'm not sure they could figure out what all the all, everything they all the information they need to do to do the anonymous web searches they need to make to make that happen. I mean, not only that, but the the way you make machine learning better is you have to aggregate the data and you have to look at the way users are using it and actually expand it from there. So I almost feel like sometimes Apple's working in this space like with one hand tied behind their back, maybe a few fingers of the other hand tied behind their back as well. Like it's <laughs> it's commendable they want to do all this stuff on the device. I don't want to say that their privacy stuff is just marketing. Like I do believe that as a company they they believe in, in a lot of that stuff. But I just feel like, man, if you're trying to head towards this machine learning slash AI future, like you've really come around it like backwards. Like they may still end up in the same spot. Yeah, I don't know, but it feels like they've they've gone at it from the wrong direction. And I do wonder if over time they'll start rolling some of that back. Like I know they now sync some of their learning like across devices. Like it's still the device calculates it and then tells your other devices about it because in their previous release of their operating system, like each device had to calculate that stuff on its own. Every single time you plugged it in, it's like, yeah. now your phone's hot trying to figure out who all these people are in your photos and is that a dog or a cat? Like I don't know, Andy. Like I like that companies have different strategies, but I, I don't know about this this whole on-device thing. It seemed a little bit weird that they're saying, and now the Photos app can uh, can – sync with your other photos apps on your other devices it's knowledge about your friends names and their faces and i'm like it didn't already do that it, didn't, <laughs> it was never doing oh my god um i have to correct myself though they're, they're uh, they did uh, they they did use the word google once which they is did. so so unusual that i actually had to make a note about that as i was as i was watching uh because there's this new uh, uh file a new new app for uh, the ipad uh, called files which is actually quite nifty it's sort of one of the Achilles heels of using an iPad as a fully functional computer outside of your office is that's just such a damn problem getting files from wherever they are to a place where your iPad apps can actually see and use them. And they've been trying to, they've been solving that slowly over the past few years, but now there's also a, an app called Files that's sort of like a file manager uh, that mostly works with, that can, act, that can look inside the private file stores of individual apps that are sandboxed from each other, but also can integrate with all of your cloud drive services and it supports pretty much everything. And you could see that, <laughs> like, the, and it supports app services like Dropbox and Brockbox and, and, micro, and uh, Microsoft service and Google Drive. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! I said the word Google. Now I now I have to now I have to leave the stage right now. Walk around the convention center three times to undo the curse before I can continue with this keynote because I I spoke the name of the beast on this holy altar. 
Yes, I, I got that impression as well. I thought I thought it's interesting though because Android, you know, has had file management from day one, I guess, but it's it's low level access. It's like if you want to open a file manager, here's all your files, and good luck figuring yeah. out you know what they all are and what they mean. That is a good level of flexibility. I do like the iOS finally has the equivalent and perhaps better. Like it's it's a more managed experience. It plugs into like various online services. Like this could be an interesting thing for Google to look at and be like, you know, if we want to simplify file access on Android, here's an interesting thing. But I think the really interesting part, Andy, that I want to see Google bring on board is I assume you saw their, all their drag and drop demos, how they're like, I can start oh, yeah. picking stuff up, I can start adding. You can flick more than one thing onto that. So you, with one finger, you're picking something up. This is on a tablet, obviously. And then you're tapping around you know, the interface and you're adding more things to that. So now you have maybe four or five things in this sort of floating clipboardy type thing. This is something you can't really do on a desktop very well either. And right. then you just like, bang, you drop them in here. I'm like, oh, like that's nice. If, if Google is serious about a tablet strategy, like I want to see that kind of thing on Android. That, that looked really impressive. Hmm. Do you think that Google is still serious about a, tra- a tablet strategy? Because they're doing. It seems as though right now they got the Chromebooks is working gangbusters for them, better yeah. than I'm sure they even dared to hope. And their the phones are doing phenomenally well, and they've got a great plan for phones as well. But it seems as though the one area in which they have not been able to get consistent success is with any sort of tablet. Now I know that the Amazon has the Kindle Fire tablet, which are nice, but it kind of hides Android away from you. The Nook tablet is also okay, but people are not scrambling down to Barnes and Noble if they can find still a Barnes and Noble next to a Radio Shack that's still open. <laughs> Samsung is making some nice tablets, but they're very. If you if you're going to spend several hundred dollars on a tablet, it's going to either be an iPad or a Windows 10 device. So do you think that they even particularly care about – not that they would ever chloroform this whole concept, but it's like there's, if they see an engineer in his or her spare time working on improving the tablet experience, aren't they saying we got to – there must be a way we can get you on a project like shaving another one hundredth of a second off of the access time for Gmail because – do something that people will actually notice. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting question because for me it seems to come in waves. Like every few years it seems like the there's a renewed interest in tablets from Google. Like we saw the whole split screen thing a few years back. Um, we saw some other sort of tablet improvements and then it will just go quiet for like many, many years. And then all of a sudden they'll either release a new piece of hardware or there'll be something new in the OS. So uh, I feel like it's not something they're paying full-time attention to. I think... I think maybe internally they know they've they've lost a lot of that war to the to the iPad and like you say to to the Chromebook like their own product is is doing really well in education and and places where I think Apple was hoping you know their tablet sort of um, market would take off and it, it's really been the Chromebook you know all the way in the education space so I, I think they still care I think internally every few years there'll be a renewed focus to like what can we add to the tablet to make it more amazing but I don't think it's it's the same as it is for the phone like they're constantly adding stuff to to Android to do with you know phones and how they can get the phones into more hands and how they can get a better experience you know on their phones like I don't see that same level of interest on the on the tablet side yeah it's it, it it was fun though uh speaking of just nice to see different companies take different approaches i was really impressed with apple's approach to augmented reality uh, they have a new uh, set of apis they're calling ar kit and um whereas google's demos of augmented reality uh, and Microsoft's uh, demos of augmented reality tend to all be here is this wonderful new device we've made to give the, to provide the most incredibly great no holds bars, no no limited, no limits whatsoever. Augmented reality experience, whether it's Microsoft's, um, here's this really really big set of goggles you're going to wear so you can see the real world, but also see the AR world augmented on top of it. To 
Google saying, we've got the Project Tango phone, which is going to have additional sensors that can map out a room as you or a space as you walk through it. Apple seemed to just sort of be puffing on its pipe with, with, filled with whatever, <laughs> leaning back on the back porch and saying, or hear me, or don't, don't, and don't tell Google or Microsoft this. What if we just let people use their existing iPads and iPhones and just gave developers a huge set of tools so that they could make something like Pokemon Go in like an afternoon? And if they wanted to make something even more ambitious, it would take them maybe a week. Uh, and just looking at the stuff that uh, – uh, have you have you been looking at AR kits? Some of the f- basic things that it does for you, like uh, it, uh, during the demo and uh, during some some talks that I had had to get more, more information about it. So it's pretty easy to for uh, for your code to identify, okay, here is a surface in front of you, it, whether it's a table or a piece of ground. So here is a place where you could easily place something, uh, place an object uh, that, is, that is virtual. And also uh, here is what the lighting is like. So I'm going to automatically – for you, make sure it casts the right shadow and has the right lighting changes on it. Uh, motion tracking, face identification, uh, it's on and on and on. Even even the built-in camera app, the camera APIs. Now, if you have uh, an iPhone 7 Plus or uh, any iPhone that has the twin camera setup, uh, right now the camera app uh, in the current iOS uses it for just sort of that depth fo- focus fake sort of thing. But now if your app wants to use the camera and wants to get access to the depth information that the the iOS is pulling off of that camera, it can hand you that data and say, here's an object in focus, here's where it is. Uh, so just the I love it when a company says we're not going to demand that the users or the developers uh, create stuff that we tell them to create. I love it when they just say, Here's a box full of toys. Here's here's a huge bag of Legos. Show us what's what we can build that's awesome and that's great. Go ahead. Yeah, and it's it was a little bit of a surprise to hear that. Like we there's been rumors for ages that Apple was working on AR, but normally the way Apple comes into a market is they're like, Oh, that's nice. Look look at what everyone's been doing here. Isn't that quaint? <laughs> Isn't that cute? And we can talk about the home pod later if we want to. Like that feels like that kind of approach. But this was this was the word a, for that is arrogance, but that's okay. Yeah, exactly. There is an air of arrogance. Isn't it so like, adorable please. you think that you can make a speaker, but don't worry, everybody. <laughs> They've been trying to steal your money for a piece of crap product, but we've, we've solved the problem of making an intelligent speaker. Yeah, but, but in this case, it's weird. Apple took the middle road. They're like, you know what? The camera is almost good enough to do fairly good AR, so why don't we just work with the existing camera that we've got? Why don't we work with the sensors that are already in the phone? Let's not add any new ones in, in the current sort of phones at least. And it it does work surprisingly well. It's never going to be as good as a Project Tango at instantly mapping a room just based on, you know, what it sees. But wave it around a little bit and, you know, do some sort of bits in between and you get pretty damn close. And that's – all the demos I saw are really interesting. Like you can identify obviously things like Andy's a person. He has a face. He has two eyes. Here's his mouth. Like here's his ears. His hair, his hair is up here. And they can also identify surfaces. So it's like this looks like a flat surface that's off the ground, like it's probably a table. And it can identify, you know, if you hook it into their other ML kit, I think it's called, their machine learning sort right. of side of things, it can be like that's a laptop, that's a screen, that's that's a that's a whatever. You can program your own models for, you know, what you want to identify in the world and that. It is super, super interesting to see that rolled out to, you know, they made a big deal. They're like, we are now the biggest AR platform in the world, like thanks to this. And it's <laughs> as, as much as that's marketing, it's actually true. Like if they can roll that out to all their devices, they are now the biggest AR platform in the world. The one sticking point I have, Andy, is with all these demos, they look super impressive. People do really cool things. But what are people actually going to do with it? Like Apple has rolled out some stuff in the past like um, – I'm thinking of Scene Kit. I'm thinking of the UI Kit dynamic stuff, the physics sort of built into iOS that made for some really cool demos. And then six months later, like there was maybe three apps that used it, and people were like, yeah, 
you know, that was nice. Yeah. But there, it's, I just like the idea that I, it's hard for me to imagine what people can do with it. Now, I know that for the first two weeks after OS 11 uh, gets gets released, we're going to see 100,000 really crappy Pokemon <laughs> Go ripoffs. That's fine. That's the that's the, 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 the 40 years we're going to have to spend wandering the desert until <laughs> until we reach, I'm sorry, I'm not Jewish, so I can't use that analogy because I don't know what happens after the wandering of the desert. I hope something good. Go to the promised uh, land, surely. <laughs> Promised Land. Okay, there you go. I did. I, that was going to be my first guess, but I didn't want to guess wrong. Uh, <laughs> but but I was but I'm looking at this. and I'm thinking that wow, wouldn't it be cool to have like in a classroom that uh, if if kids are like using their laptops to get make art, or if they're just collecting art, researching through Google Images and stuff like that, wouldn't it be great to just have the wall covered with people's art that they could see if they hold up a phone like the parents could see all the way to if i've got a uh, if i run a th if i've got a theater and i've got uh, that, a big blank wall someplace of course i'm going to cover it with a really awesome mural but what if there were like apps that could say i want to know more i, I don't my my billboard as a theater owner is limited to that like eight feet by 10 feet I've got hanging in front of there that has like burnt out neon. But if someone holds up a phone, they could see over the entire face of this theater, a poster for Patton Oswalt because he's going to be appearing in a couple of weeks. Uh, just on, or even just like, uh, I've been on this for, for a while that, uh, on Mac break saying that, uh, if all that, if all Apple did, what they are was to add to a feature to Google maps where, if I've got just gotten off the subway at 100, 181st Street, I don't know. I, I know that my friend's apartment is near. I can hold it up, hold up my phone, and instead of just seeing here is the a, a street layout, there will be actually superimposed on the actual road. Here is a, a, just a green, yellow brick road going down, and then banking to the right between these two buildings. And then I see that a little bit beyond those two blocks, another building is now flashing red. And I can just look around and say, yes, that's that's Josh's house. That's where I need to go. So many great things can happen. And this is this is the sort of stuff that uh, really sells hardware. Uh, I, I, the, I, there's there's so few things that are so impressive as when you're at dinner, you're at a, you're at, at work, you're having fun someplace and you see someone do something with their phone that you've never seen anybody with your phone do. And you ask, what app is that? Said, oh, well, this is this is this is the new AR Maps app. Uh, it's only available for for Apple, but yeah, it works great, doesn't it? And you're like, this phone isn't is a year old. I'm going to need to need to buy a new phone in a year because what am I going to do? Use the same phone for three years? That's crazy. And I I, I, I am kind of I am a little bit susceptible to that too. Like when there's, I can imagine myself. This is a solution to a problem that I keep having, and so that's I really want to see Google kind of respond to that by rolling up their sleeves and saying okay we that's what you, apple that's you should be very proud of that however this is nothing that can't be done with our own apis and now we're going to make sure that our developer documentation explains how you can do apps like that on our own platform thank you apple yeah i mean that'll be interesting to see how far it pushes google along because project tango has always felt like a bit of a side project it's i think two yeah. phones in total support the the sensors that it requires and without those sensors at the moment like it can't work and the thing is i'm sure that if they put their engineering talent behind it, if they wanted to, they could probably make it work on like any phone. You know, it wouldn't be as good, but it would be good enough. And the the one historical example, I guess, it was no coincidence that Apple brought up Pokemon Go in their keynote, even though it's it's kind of tapered off like in the in the months since. But it was the one time where you saw like an AR app that had done some things that perhaps had been done before, but had done them better with you know better IP and whatever else. And 
there was really a breakthrough there. Like you talk to any battery manufacturer, you walk into an Apple store, you walk into any store and they're like, what happened when Pokemon Go came out? People bought battery packs like in the hundreds <laughs> and thousands and they sold out everywhere because everybody was playing this game, you know, this new sort of experience in the real world. So if Apple can have another killer app like that that is built on top of AR kit and potentially only runs on iOS, like that could be interesting for Google. That could be, you know, the shove they need to to bring Project Tango or something like it, you know, to more devices. Yeah, I, I just again competition, competition, competition. Google wouldn't be Google wouldn't have the phone, the Android they have unless they had iPhone saying, "Oh God, we've wasted the last four <laughs> years of our lives, and now we're going to have to waste the next two and a half years of our lives." That you know that that kid of ours that was born two and a half years ago, I feel sorry for him because I'm not going to know him until he's in second or third grade. Oh well, I don't even know what his name is because I've been so busy Dennis, working on the version of mom. Android that has to be My who? What? Huh? I've never met this woman before. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going <laughs> to be. Like... I was saying, who are you again? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, we have the same last name. What a coincidence! <laughs> Look at this cool new VR thing, AR thing that I made. Don't you think it's cool? And Dennis is like, yeah, I guess didn't come to my Dorothy, baseball your, game. Your, but... your your sarcasm is completely well earned. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so to I, uh, speak, we'll, we should we'll wind up on this one. But uh, uh, HomePod seems to be worth mentioning. Because... Can I just mention that name first? HomePod. Yeah. What do you think of that, Andy? <laughs> when they said it, I'm like, what? Um, I'm old enough to remember the Coneheads sketch from uh, the old Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Beldar, I summon you to our HomePod. Now consume mass quantities. <laughs> Beep. And if you don't, if you if you're younger than that, then then Google Coneheads. Skip past the movie, but it was the, the sketches are pretty fun. Yeah, it's okay. It's 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 another. See, it's another case. That they, it's the second time they've done that, where everybody had already agreed that their watch is called is called the iWatch. They said no, it's called the Apple Watch. And even Tim Cook himself, after the after the announcement, was occasionally saying iWatch instead of Apple Watch. Everybody was calling it, oh, the Siri speaker. Great. I can't wait. To, I can't wait to hear about the Siri speaker. That's going to be a great Siri speaker. No, it's called the HomePod. Like, I think that that's an odd thing to call the Siri speaker. But if the Siri speaker thinks that that, okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> kind of weird. Um, but yeah, it's a, it was, I guess all you got to say is it's 350 bucks. Yeah. And there's still, there's still a lot to develop and to show off before they um, ship it later this later this year probably in time for the holidays uh as a matter of fact the siri part of it wasn't even functioning in the demo units they had in the demo room oh, interesting after the keynote uh, it was they were just showing off its capabilities as a speaker and maybe that's why the entire that entire, entire section of the keynote that it ends of the keynote with this big big thing was about all about the sound quality that we're we're redefining we're redefining the home audio experience of Re, or rather reinventing the home audio experience I'm like okay don't set your don't set expectations too high now uh but it's so yeah it, it seemed like uh a really they, they're trying to make the point that this is a really super incredible awesome great speaker that also has smart speaker features built into it as opposed to the google home and the amazon echo which is the speaker is very good uh, but 129 bucks by all means. It's a, we're we're selling the intelligence of this product and what it can do as a voice assistant. Uh, and I don't know I don't know how to feel about their Apple's choices here. I have to say that I, I love the fact that 
Amazon will sell you uh, an Echo for as much as I think the 179 bucks for the regular one, but they'll also sell you a Dot for 50 bucks. So if you yeah. just find the intelligent assistant so useful that I don't want there to be a room where I can I, I'm out of earshot of uh, of my my Echo. You can make that happen very cheaply. You can buy <laughs> you can buy almost two Echoes or three Google Homes for the cost of this HomePod, and even if the sound is awesome and people that I know who have heard it firsthand says the sound is damn nice, that's assuming that the person is buying it to have a home audio device. Again, yeah. and, and I can only, I'm only speaking for myself where the I have these devices for what they're meant to do, which is I want to be able to give it, give it instructions and get information back. If I, I occasionally want to listen to some music, but I'm not, if I'm going to be in, I want to really enjoy my music library. It's not going to be through my talkie talkie gadget. It's going to be through something I probably already own that does that. Yeah, so it, it's going to be weird. I saw a lot of articles that are like, this is their answer to Google home and Amazon echo. It feels like more Apple's answer to something like the Sonos speakers. Like you've got, and these yeah. expensive sort of audio setups that go into homes, they're, they're not cheap. And you, you tend to buy more than one of them and you link them together and then you sort of send music to them. Like it feels like Apple approached it more from that angle. They're like, here's our expensive speaker that you can also plug in and, you know, play all your fancy music on. And by the way, they're $350, but if you want to get two of them, you know, two of them work together, you can get stereo. Like it's, it feels more to me like that. And I'd, I know they maybe downplayed the Siri part because it didn't work yet, but I also feel like they downplayed the Siri part because that doesn't feel like as much what this product is about. It literally feels like they wanted to make a really, really, really good wireless speaker that you could talk to to get you know music playing and maybe just leave it after that, like it's playing in your house. It doesn't really, if the Google Home is $129, if you can buy a dot for $50, like it, it doesn't feel like these two are even competitors with each other. Like it, It's almost like two different markets. And, and it also seems like something that if Google or Amazon feels threatened by this, they can simply say, <laughs> they can simply say, by the way, our speakers now support AirPlay, or we 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 are now giving you uh, a version of this that has line level output, so you can buy your own damn three hundred dollar speaker of your choice. Well, the uh, the, and the put, dot Andy and the yeah. Chromecast Audio both do that. They have a, an audio jack coming out the back of it. But the Chromecast Audio doesn't do Siri. Uh, excuse me, doesn't do uh, smart assistance, does it? Ah, uh, no, you're right. It doesn't. You can't talk to. You. you have to send it all from the but, phone. But yeah, yeah. But, but the point is that there there there, is, there are other solutions available to you. Um, and to and by all, we shouldn't. I'm. We shouldn't try to sell uh, the HomePod short. It sounds. It has an A8 uh, chip in it, which is the same thing that the Apple TV has. The same thing that only a not terribly old iPhone has. And from the Stuff I've been uh, I've been told about it over the past day in emails with certain individuals and also th from the keynote. It really is. It it takes whatever music you're playing through it and just completely disassembles it. And it has an awareness because it uses these a, a circle of seven tweeters, not just for audio. I, I imagine that it also uses it as a sort of radar to to figure out that okay, I am not really totally in a placed on a table in a corner, but I'm close to a corner on the left side. Uh, but there's lots of space to my right side, and the ceiling is a little bit lower than usual. And then based on that, if you're playing a, so a song with uh, Certain characteristics, it'll say that it'll figure out that okay, I, I really the vocals really need to be placed correctly, and so that's going to be hard because I'm off center. So it will just t it almost again, almost like it's taking it and turning it into a six, sixteen separate tracks and placing each track 
Like here's the audio bit. Here's like the bassy drums bit. Here's some uh, crowd applause bits that needs to go different places in the audio spectrum. Uh, and again, it's, it's I've heard from people that it's really really impressive. But is it three hundred fifty dollars worth impressive? And I've I've been in the process in the over the past month or so of evaluating uh, what I would call like just just a step up of audio for for my Mac. Uh, and every time I'm about to think that, oh, well, this $100 speaker or this 200 speaker, wow, that's really, really nice. And then I said, okay, it is now time to play the Diana Damrau tracks. And Diana Damrau <laughs> is like my, my favorite uh, operatic soprano. She has this amazing voice, and she makes every speaker cry. Like, please don't make me try to reproduce this sound again. I thought I had really wonderful dynamic range, but then she hits that high F at the end of the aria, and all I can go is... <laughs> and I know that I'm going... <laughs> but that's the best, like... <laughs> $15 million was spent developing my audio. They were so proud of me, and now I have to go back home and shave. That that's how bad and that's that's so what I'm saying is that it has to be not only great, it has to be great for the music that each individual is listening yeah. to. Yeah, so and I, I don't I, know how else I did do. see a few reports of people that tried a few different things on the home pod and they're like, This sounded amazing and this sounded not so amazing. And I guess it's still a good six months away from being finished. So right, right. we'll see what the final algorithm looks like. But I do think to circle back to Google, like I do think this is an opportunity for Google. Like they have the Chromecast audio, which you can hook up to any speaker you want that, you know, supports line in. Um, they have the Google Home, which you can talk to and has a, has an okay speaker built in, you know, as much as they could do for $129. Like I wonder if there is a gap in the market for Google to say or partner with someone to say, look, here's an amazing, you know, $250 speaker, $300 speaker that you can put in your home. It, it does all this fancy positioning stuff. It can talk to other speakers in your house and, you know, you can talk to it. The assistant is on there as well. Like, I almost feel like that's a product I would buy because I don't use Apple Music. Like I don't particularly like the service. You know, personally I use Google Play Music and if I can't get my music service that I choose or if you're a Spotify subscriber and you can't get that on the HomePod, like that's a big gap in the market for people to be like, here's a speaker that supports, you know, the other end of it, everything <laughs> except Apple Music. Like you can get on this and it sounds, you know, just as good or better. Like I don't know what you think, Andy, but maybe there's there's a gap in the market for that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the uh, HomePod does not support Bluetooth. It certainly doesn't have like a, <laughs> it doesn't have like an earphone in jack or anything like that. Uh, but it does support uh, AirPlay too. So uh, even though Apple Music is the only music service it supports natively, you can AirPlay whatever you want from any device that it's AirPlay compatible. And and some uh, some uh, Android music apps are AirPlay compatible. So hopefully it will work. At least at least uh, there are features there are AirPlay. There, are, I have a bunch of audio apps that claim that for an extra three dollars, it will work with AirPlay, and I'm like, okay, we'll find out if that's true <laughs> sometime later. But yeah, so it, it does seem like something where, I, again, hopefully, if Google uh, is sort of uh, inspired by this product, they could, they, you're right, they could easily team up with Harman Kardon or uh, or uh, some other like larger maker and saying, for we if if you we will we will give you technology that will increase the unit cost of manufacture by forty three dollars, but will put the Google Assistant inside the speaker, uh, or even here is a stereo component that uh, you're using it you're to drive your big you know Stonehenge sized twenty one woofers eighteen tweeters and. 18 different uh, directions uh and we will be able to, to integrate, integrate there I'm, I'm all for better music i'm just it's i'm legitimately I'm, I'm legitimately curious to see how well this works out of course the way that apple plays the game 
maybe they don't even care if they become as significant as uh, Amazon's and Google's uh, offerings are. Maybe it's it's possible they just wanted to make a really kick-ass speaker, uh, and they knew that Siri was part of the toolkit they could use to make it kick-assier. <laughs> I like that kick-assier. That should be on their um, their tagline. You know, I believe <laughs> Mac OS High Sierra is your Mac elevated or something like that. They, they went full on with that joke. So, yeah, Siri, kick, what was it? Kick-assier. Roll Kick your own music here. playlists with High Sierra. <laughs> I like that. That's that's a cool marketing thing. So yeah, I guess it doesn't come out till the end of the year, as as with a lot of this stuff that I pull out. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, between now and then, you never know. Google Google might come up with something as well. I, I almost feel like they should. Like companies like Sonos are, are making a real killing in the high end market, and their software is is okay. Like it's it's not great. It's I mean it's it's kind of smart, but it doesn't have the sort of integration that a, a Google or an Apple could build. So if someone like Google could partner with someone like you say, like a like a Bose or you know some high end sort of speaker manufacturer, like you know some interesting things could happen there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I have a I have a set of Sonos speakers um, that I actually bought. Uh, I got a good deal on because this was like a couple of years ago because I thought, oh, great, Sonos, all my friends have it. And they sound great, but I just could not get my head around, I don't know, just the relationship to music that I have to have with Sonos where it has to be, I have to get my phone, I have to get this app going, I have to get I have to get this paired correctly, uh, I have to have this base station. Whereas I kind of like the fact that uh, my the solution that I've got going on my Mac right now, the, my favorite one so far is one that I actually purchased as opposed to loaner hardware. Uh, and talk about Stonehenge. I really do have like three, four, five sets of speakers here in the office right now, of which I own my my, my Radio Shack realistic Minimus 77s, like the bookshelf speakers they used to make in the late 90s. Uh, but uh, this TIAC uh, digital audio converter that also switches between USB inputs, Bluetooth, and like three different analog inputs. And this, that's my favorite one so far because it really is like plugging a stereo tuner into your desktop. It, connects via usb so you don't have to worry about bluetooth connectivity or like these clicky clicky buzzy poorly grounded analog inputs you don't have to uh, you, you you get a, a brand new digital audio converter converter so hooking up to bigger speakers they just sound great uh and uh, admittedly this t- this box costs 320 dollars so, so 30 dollars only 30 dollars less <laughs> than than the home pod and i still had i still have to use like the same bookshelf speakers i had in college that does not include the cost of the speakers uh but we're we're all weird people when it comes to how we like to enjoy our media so uh, again if it, apple's not going to lose money on these uh, and if it leads them to maybe next year uh, the, the great thing about these these smart speakers are always that even if they just do kind of one sort of interesting thing upon release, it still has this A8 processor in it. And next year, without any new hardware, it could just start doing incredible things on its own. Yeah. I mean, software updates, you never know if they, they slot some other things in there. It could even be shipped with Bluetooth and one day they might turn that on if they you know they, they feel the need. So you just don't know. I, I can't help but feel, just to, to wrap this up, that somewhere inside Google, there's the original team that developed the Nexus Q. Do you remember that thing, Andy? They... <laughs> They shipped it at a, a Google I.O. They never actually shipped the product. They're like, this no longer exists. Delete. I can't help but that team is just sitting there going like, we told you. We told you. Look, this is where it was all heading. You know, we were a few years away. We are a few refinements away from having something way better than this. And, and you mocked us. And look at this now. Look at this now, people. I don't think anybody's hearing them because they're still in some sort of sub-basement where their job for the past five years has been licking the envelopes on everyone's weekly paychecks. Oh, next you're lucky. Cute, you're lucky. Yeah. You still. We're still keeping on the health plan. Keep licking. 
No, no, no. You're not allowed to use that damn sponge. You're here to lick. <laughs> uh, still my favorite Google product of all time. Announced and hyped <laughs> and then just never shipped. Again, you, you can do that when you're making that much money off of advertising, I guess. <laughs> Russell, remind us. Remind us where we can find the get aboard the the Russell Ivanovich carousel of awesomeness. Choo choo carousels is the theme of the day. Like I've just realized, Andy, that's the word we were looking for when we were describing Android Wear. It's a carousel, the scrolly thing. What do I win? <laughs> I said the secret word. Yay! You win exclusive access to Twitter.com. I win a Nexus. Yay! I win Nexus Q. Yay! Nexus Q. <laughs> yeah, they're probably expensive now. They're, they're in a short supply. Uh, Twitter.com <laughs> slash Rusty Shelf is where you find all my musings and all my writings. What about yourself, Andy? Where, where can people find more of your stuff? The ticket to this per- this particular fun ride is to spell my last name. I'm Anatko on Twitter. My blog is at anatko.com. And you can write the stuff I write for pay at suntimes.com, which is the mighty Chicago Sun Times website. That was material episode one or two. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you listen to it again. Hope next week. Hope you have a great week. Until then, until then, remember, all else is immaterial. Mm-hmm. Outro music. Public domain, easily licensed music, <laughs> kind of catchy, not memorable, but it's licensed and we won't get sued. Library music. That sounds awesome coming over my HomePods, Andy. <laughs> it's it's the presence and the bass. The fact that when I went to the went to the upper highs, I decided I'm going to put that a little forward of the speakers this time. Yeah, I know exactly where you're standing. I know where the walls are. I can get the sound to you perfectly, perfectly. Now I'm just going to have to be like resentful for Apple for making yet another device that's smarter than I am for the first time in my life that I've owned this product. Said, so what? What if this is speakers? It's just like a paper cone with a magnet in it. I'm smarter <laughs> than a paper cone with a magnet in it. Yeah, but you're not smarter than this speaker. Damn it! It was nice uh, having that much self-esteem, but now okay, I'll do. I'll make do with less. Oh well. <laughs> Apple does it again.